we have all-stars we have shoe throws we have movement in the standings and we have a new hall of fame there's a lot to cover on this week's episode of the indie ball report podcast All right, we are back again. Episode number 175 of the Indie Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we have a lot to talk about because once again, we had this whole incident where we record an episode. It's pretty good. I finish editing it. I get it all prepped. I immediately go and I look at Twitter and boom, news comes out. And of course, that news was Hall of Fame announcements. We'll get to that later in the show because now that's week old news even though it is kind of interesting. But what we have is more pressing news, news that probably most people that are just coming across this show for the first time are kind of here to talk about, which is we have another viral clip out of the Atlantic League. And once again, it's not really for the best of reasons. And that is, of course, because an umpire decided he just couldn't walk away after making a bat call at first and instead decided he needed to, like, spike his shoe and then kind of gently toss it i guess i mean calling it a throw maybe a bit of an exaggeration no i don't know i mean the whole thing it honestly just looks like a circus i don't know and some people are kind of entertained by that uh i'm not really one of those people now i think it was definitely a bad call at first base to to lose the game and you know it kind of shows how the second half has gone for High Point and, and the Barnstormers as well. I mean, two completely opposite directions. Um, now, of course, there was going to be, there was going to be some argument and whatnot. Um, and I'm not going to, especially like when he's what, cause the, where the umpires were, uh, at Clipper Magazine, like he had to walk through the outfield. So you certainly don't condone, uh, players and coaches and managers or whatever, like following them to their like dressing room. Obviously. Yeah. That, but with that being said, I mean, that umpire just did not handle himself in the way that you need to. And I don't, I don't know if he thought he made a bad call or whatnot. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he just handled himself like a child and it was, I throwing, throwing your shoe. I mean, literally, it was a full on like fight. I, not like in, in a, as far as like punches being thrown and whatnot, but I and whatever was being said like back to the players was enough for them to just keep continually to go at them at, at the umpire, and uh, I don't know. It's it honestly was a circus. Um, I, I I don't know. It, it doesn't really paint the league with a good. Uh, it doesn't give them good publicity. Sh- shocker yet again. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't look good on the whole league. And I, I think there's, I don't, I don't know if that umpire is ever going to be umpiring an Atlantic league game again, because that's, I mean, that's just not, not at all how, how you conduct yourself in that, in that kind of situation. Absolutely not. And I, I think what's important is just to kind of go back over the incident in case you haven't seen uh, the video, which is at the end of the high point and Lancaster game I want to say it was Wednesday night if I'm not mistaken what had occurred was it was a bottom of the 10th situation runners at the corners with one away full count I believe the batter is Devin Torrance he goes ahead he gets up 3-2 count 
pitch comes in. He hits what should be an inning, an inning ending double play, which would send the game to the 11th. They get the out at second, throw on the first. It looks to be in time. I mean, at least from what we see on the Lancaster broadcast, it seems pretty clear cut that he was beat by, what would you say, about a half a step, give or take? Yeah, I thought he was, I think a half step is probably a good uh, characterization of it. I, it was, to me, it was a pretty, it wasn't like, uh, like it wasn't close because it was, it was decently close, but I, uh, I mean, absolutely a, uh, uh, the, the, the wrong calls. Yeah. It's one of those situations where it's not even like a tie goes to the runner type of thing. It's one where it's like, it's not like he had a whole stride to go, but it's enough where as an umpire, it's pretty definitive that his foot didn't hit the bag first. Plus, it's a situation where if you're going off of sound, because a cleat hitting a bag does make a sound, and that's part of what you're going with when it's that fast, his foot doesn't hit the bag, so there shouldn't be any sound until after that ball's in the mitt. So at least from what we can see on the video, it looks like Torrance is out. Uh, then Logan Morrison, he is not happy at all. He you know, obviously upset his team just lost the game. High point has not had the best start to the second half. You could uh, say that. Yeah. T- as of the time that we're recording this, Lancaster still has yet to lose. They're 8 no, so they're making a very strong play for that North Division crown. Uh, so this was part of that eight-game win streak now. There, Morrison, he kind of flips his glove, flips the ball, and then there's a obviously a discussion with the umpire it seems like even Lancaster's a little bit surprised at this at first and then from there it just kind of devolves uh Jamie Keefe goes over Frank Viola goes over Austin Glories eventually goes over this is after Logan Morrison kind of gets into the umpire's face even Ross People starts talking to the umpires because he's kind of confused too he's like wait my guy was out but obviously you're not talking yourself out of a win they're trying to keep it away. And that's when we get to the shoe throw, which is at one point, I'd say a little bit before the halfway mark of the video, probably about a third of the way in. What you see is the umpire take off his shoe, kind of flip it in the air while not with his hand, just kind of kick it there. It appears like he flips off Morrison grabs his shoe, and then kind of gives it a toss there. And that's when Glorious comes over and starts getting into his face. Then it gets real heated, a lot of pointing. And uh, then another umpire comes over to try and restore some order. But at that point, the, the ship has sailed. And now they're trying to make their way through the outfield to the umpire locker room. That's just not really happening. Then the Lancaster staff comes over. There's a bunch of ejections. Chaos just kind of takes over. It was a, It was a whole situation there. And I got to imagine a lot of words were said. And what's kind of adds to all of this is it's not the first incident like this in the Atlantic League this year. We no, had one. Not at all. Yeah, we had one a few weeks ago in Lexington where we had an umpire apparently saying some not so great things to fans and players. And then he flipped off a player as well. There's just been kind of an ongoing thing, especially this year, but in the not-so-recent past as well, when it comes to umpiring in this league. And before, we used to joke about how, oh, you have a couple of guys that, you know, they're just not very good at their jobs, kind of Angel Hernandez types. Now we just have these 
these incidents and outbursts, which quite frankly are just like a black eye in the league. Yeah, a black eye, I think, is the perfect way to put it. And it's amazing that this continues to happen over and over and over again with the Atlantic League and specifically their umpires and not just making poor calls because, you know, that happens. And yeah. uh, you're not getting the most high-quality umpires in this league. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you're talking about umpires who, who can't handle themselves. And, I mean, and you look at all if you look at all the ejections, um, it's funny that because uh, a, a good friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, Anthony Fasanella, actually went back on the feed and he looked at like who eject to see who got ejected, uh, like to, based on like to estimate like who like the umpire ejected. You got Logan Morrison, Austin Glorious, uh, Jamie Keefe, Frank Viola, Bryce Hensley, Gio Alfonso, Jason Bradford, Jay Gonzalez, uh, and Ross Peoples all were ejected by this umpire during this, like, melee. And then also he added that Bryce Hensley ejected uh, Nate Caldwell, the third base up. So, um, <laughs> which it, it really just was complete chaos. Like, as they were going down the tunnel, there was there was more. There was uh, a lot more yelling. And, uh, and it's just, there's just, it was just a horrible look that it, it looks like, a, it looks like a circus. And, for a league that is trying to kind of repair some of its image a little bit uh, based on a lot of these incidents and with the field problems and stuff that never really used to be a part of the Atlantic League, say in 2018, 2019, I mean, uh, it's a a pretty bad look. Uh, And yet again, we're having this discussion about, about umpires in the Atlantic League and going going far beyond just they made the wrong call. Yeah, absolutely. And what makes it even worse is this clip's been viewed oh, well over a million times here because it's 900,000 alone on Bleacher Report because Bleacher Report picked it up, Barstool Sports picked it up, thoughts about Barstool aside, they're a major outlet. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on. And so many people are seeing it and they're getting this image. And yeah, the Atlantic League's getting noticed a lot more partially because of that partnership with MLB and other things here. But it's all for the wrong reasons. And you're right, Willem, that they're trying to repair a reputation a bit. And it's also not just that. It's also fighting off increased competition here because the American Association has certainly kind of shot up the ranks on this as well. And when you look at the two leagues, you go, the the talent level is extremely comparable in my mind. And just the ease to access, I give it to the American Association a bit. Yeah, there's a paywall to view games. Yeah, but it's not that bad. And the quality of the stream is better. The overall ease of just accessing content because there's a lot of free content as well. Everything about it just seems to be more well ran. And these types of things just don't happen over there. And so when we keep having this discussion seemingly every year now, where it's like, up, oh, is this the year they're going to get overtaken? And you look at stuff like this happening, it's like, okay, well, it's kind of a tire fire now. And that's a major issue. Would you, could you call it an infield fire? It's... <laughs> You absolutely could call it an infield fire, yeah. I don't know though, because if you if we talk about the infield fire, some people might get very angry. Some people would get very angry, and I just don't know how you could get uh, that upset about something that's just a fact. 
I know, and uh, I guess I guess defending the use of setting your infield on fire. But you know what? That that's neither here nor there. But you're right when you say that you don't really see this stuff in the American Association at this point, and that's the thing that uh, again when when you're trying to compare these two leagues, if the Atlantic League, if they were just comparing like talent, I I think that it would be hard for the American Association to try and pounce on trying to label themselves as the bat, as the premier independent league. But it becomes a lot easier for them to do that when the Atlantic League continues to shoot itself in the foot with incidents like this and mound problems. And we're, we're canceling games because of a mound because probably wasn't a good idea to put like two, uh, to put two Atlantic League teams in the same ballpark yeah. uh, to play a hundred and, 40-game schedule or whatever it was. Not to mention uh, that both of those two teams, their whole baseball op department doesn't really exist anymore. That's another factor, too. Yeah, that, too. Um, And it makes that much easier for them to make that case when it just doesn't seem to be well-ran in any sense. Another incident involving the Atlantic League that isn't good uh, and overshadows a lot of play on the field that has been uh, I mean, there's some there's some big stories in this league to start the second half, but no, we're talking about an umpire acting like a complete buffoon instead, because that's what people see now uh, on the internet, uh, and we have to talk about it. But it overshadows, unfortunately, the Barnstormers' terrific start, Gastonia's terrific start uh, in the, in the second half as well, uh, and other things that are a lot more important, but because it's made it's made so many rounds you just we have to talk about it because that's what the Atlantic League continues to do yep not to mention then the following night there was also a a bit of a discussion between Lancaster's management and the umpires there because again neither side could walk away on it so that was just another instant to add on to this and it is just an ongoing thing and it does distract from the positive things we talked a bit about it when Empire State got their first win, or my mistake wasn't the Lancaster, it was uh, the high point bench that was getting into it with the umpires the following day. But the, the point still remains of we're talking about negative stories instead of positive ones. And like when we were going, all right, 30 losses in a row for Empire State, it was, uh, we was taken away from a lot of the other positive things in the Frontier League. I mean, hell, right now at 40 and 15, Quebec sits. Like, that's an amazing feat in a 94, 96 game season. Like, it, it's truly amazing. But meanwhile, we were talking about a team that's three and 51 right now instead for God knows how many weeks. So you have all these negative things. It's going to keep taking away. And I mentioned earlier, like you had your bar stool pick it up. You had Bleacher Report pick it up. You had John Boy pick it up. You have major, major outlets, at least on the internet that are covering it and you look at the amount of plays that the original one has on the Lancaster tweet you look at all these other things here and what's even worse is it just doesn't seem like the Atlantic League wants to acknowledge that this thing is happening at all because I think it was High Point earlier that tweeted out some sort of joke video I was at work couldn't really watch it I went to watch it later in the day if the video was deleted and that just kind of makes me feel like Someone from up above said it got to go. So it went and it's like, okay, that's fine. You can kind of kill mention of these things. Yes. But then you got to at least do something to solve the problem. And it's just 
they don't do anything to solve the problem. And now we spent, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this show so far just discussing this. And we have a slew of other things we could be talking about and that we're going to go and talk about in a minute, even in the Atlantic League in itself. But it is just sad that we have to keep coming back to these incidents here, whether it be the mound, whether it be an infield being set on fire, whether it be like tonight in Gastonia where they have to call the game because the lights don't work for whatever reason tonight. You know, like one or two of these things a year, it's like, okay, well, it's just kind of a quirky little thing. It's baseball. These things are going to happen and it's kind of fun. You can make a joke about it and move along. But when it's constantly happening and all these things that we've mentioned have all happened within like about a month of each other, it's kind of an issue. And it does, it does harm to all the work that's been done to kind of set up this as independent ball is a legitimate pathway to professional baseball, professional affiliated baseball, because there's a lot of talent here and all that work that's been done. When you do all this kind of stuff, it makes it look like a Bush league that's just done by a bunch of weekenders. And it couldn't be further from the truth, but it's hard to really negate it when you have an umpire throwing shoes and flipping off players. And it's, it is sad. It's regressive. It's sad. And that's the problem. And I don't want to spend too much more time on it just yeah. because th- there's a lot of good baseball. Uh, th- there's a lot of good baseball to get to. But, I mean, it's just a- another bad incident for the Atlantic League that they're going to have to try and repair their image quite again. And, unfortunately, it's not going to work. Them just trying to erase it. Because that, that is kind of how they handle their, their PR stuff. It's just you don't talk about it and then it goes away. But it doesn't really go away. But they're just going to act like it goes away. So uh, they're going to probably do the same thing here. But people will remember. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to remember. And I mean, it's we're going to wind up talking about it again, no doubt. Because something else is going to come up and we're going to point back to it. So uh, on a different note. They did also release midseason All-Stars. They never really promoted that they were going to do this. It was just kind of like one day they said, oh, we're releasing like kind of an All-Star thing in like a day and a half. So get ready for it. And then they wound up releasing it. Uh, it's just like their All-Star lineup. This also came out on Wednesday, but obviously it was overshadowed by the incident. We just spent, you know, 20 minutes talking about. But... uh and also, it's kind of funny. Some of these guys actually have been picked up since. So I guess in a way they are right. They are the best players in the league to this point. But it's also kind of like, oh, good. We're not playing a game because if we were, uh, you guys would be a little short staffed here. Uh, we'll go through them and, you know, it, there's not much more to discuss here. It's just an all star lineup. So, uh, catcher was Colton Shaver from Lancaster. Kelly Dugan at first from Lancaster. Joseph Rosa from Gastonia, Elmer Reyes and Carlos Franco from York, that shortstop and third base respectively. Rosa was a second baseman. In the outfield, you have Courtney Hawkins from Lexington, Bennett Klinsky from High Point, David Harris from Southern Maryland. Uh, DHing is Xander Weald, uh, High Point there. Uh, the two starting pitchers are Mackenzie Mills and Marcus Walden, and the two relievers. Andres Brasino from Southern Maryland and Tyler Wilson from Charleston. Uh, manager, so I suppose coaching staff, Stan Clyburn of Southern Maryland. Goose Gazzo from Gastonia uh, would be the two managers there. Uh, of the guys that are listed, I believe one, two, three, 
four. I want to say it's four. I may have missed somebody there, but I think it's only four that have been picked up so far by either a foreign league or a major league organization this year. But either way, it's still a rather impressive number. Yeah, I, I think that it shows kind of the how in this league, I mean, the best players kind of get uh, the good parts of the Atlantic League, that is, is like the best players will will generally find homes uh, in affiliated markets. And that's and that's what we've seen uh, from this team. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of talent uh, on, on this list as well. And a lot, obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of Southern Maryland representation. I think specifically, uh, I mean, so you talk about a guy like Andres Bersinho has been one of the best relievers in the in the Atlantic League over the past couple of years, uh, and even Marcus Walden, Red Sox legend, there as well. Uh, who's I, I believe he's one of them who has also gotten picked up along with Mackenzie Mills. Uh, and you know, and it's funny you also look at guys that are not surprising at all. Uh, just knowing that how talented they are, uh, like like Courtney Hawkins, like Carlos Franco, uh, but it's fun. To, it, but to see like a guy like Ben Klinsky, uh, who at least before going to Lexington Legends last year, uh, his affiliated numbers were quite bad until he totally exploded uh, with Lexington last year. He's done the same with High Point this year. Uh, so definitely uh, a, a really strong list of guys and uh, playing this hypothetical All Star game. Yeah, and David Harris is another guy as well. I mean, him in New Jersey was a very solid player. That last year he wasn't, or didn't seem to be at least, the same kind of player. And now he's really caught into the form and become the best player he can be. I mean, Wilson and Brasino are both always good. I mean, Wilson wound up going to uh, Mexico not too far back. And same thing with Mackenzie Mills. Earlier today, I forget which club he signed with, but I know he did sign. So that's always a positive there. And Kelly Dugan's always good. Uh, Stat-wise, that's available for you in the show notes if you'd like to look at that. I don't think reading stat lines is really that interesting, so we'll avoid doing that. But overall, a pretty solid list there. Uh, and it's a shame that that got overshadowed, but it is what it is. And on that note... We do have some baseball to talk about because High Point is winless. They have lost nine games. Gastonia's won all eight of theirs. Lancaster's won all eight of theirs. The Ferry Hawks are six and two, and the world's on its head. So it's a very interesting second half thus far through about 10 games. Yeah. Uh, what the hell's going on? Um, and. For teams, I mean, as good as I mean, it just shows the wagon that the, that the Gastonia Honey Hunters have also turned into this year. Yeah. Even though, like right now, say it doesn't matter as much for them. I mean, but in the North, I talk about the Barnstormers and the way uh, that they're playing right now. I and umpiring and not what not aside. Uh, I mean, this has been a unbelievable start to their second half. Their offense has just absolutely exploded. Uh, they, it's been pretty much the genomes and the revolution, uh, in the top, at the top of the league in all, most offensive categories. But since then, it's been the Barnstormers, uh, who have jumped. I mean, they're nearly hitting 270 as a team now with an OPS still of 794, uh, as a team. Uh, and they're also similar to Gastonia in the way that they're, they had so much success running the bases. Barnstormers over 100 stolen bases for the season as well, uh, and when you look at you know some of the, some of the leaders as well on the on their squad, I mean, how do you look past Kelly Dugan? 
a guy who's got 23, got a, a guy who's got 23 home runs. Uh, even Cordero's driving in o- over 60 runs as well. So, uh, and their pitching is also uh, improved. Niall Ball's a guy that, that pitched really well uh, this season. A guy, one of the harder throwers in the league as well. Uh, so, I mean, the Barnstormers are just their their offense. There's not an easy out in their lineup. Uh, it's a lineup, and of course, it's a ballpark that uh, that caters well to offense. Um, and so, it, it's not a huge surprise to see good offensive numbers. Uh, but I don't think anybody coming into the season had the Barnstormers as one of the as the best offense in the league or one of the best offenses in the league. And that's what they've turned into. And that's the reason why to start this second half. They have they have been so darn good, uh, and and you know even that of course it's there's still a long 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 way to go in this half. Then uh, of course with the Staten Island Ferry Hawks right on their tail, yeah. so uh, so it's been a it's been a wild start to the second half. But I mean this Barnstormers offense is absolutely on fire as of right now. Absolutely, and High Point did lose again tonight. It looks like. Lexington, or not Lexington, La- uh, Lancaster got their first loss as well, an 8-4 loss, because uh, a lot of unearned runs, so errors on that front there. But yeah, I do want to talk primarily about Staten Island, because I don't really know how they're doing this. It it was a team where I always was kind of thinking, like, you know, they lose a lot of close games. They could just kind of get some luck. They could be a 500 club if they get a good amount of luck. They could be better than a 500 club, and they they really are proving that right now. They're starting to get on the right side of some of these games, where it's like a 1-0 win against Long Island, a 5-3 loss or 5-4 loss, but then they go ahead and they win 6-8, they win 7-5, they win 5-4. They're starting finally starting to get like some luck on their side, and I think that's really the key difference here. I mean, we could dive in the stats and whatnot, but What's finally happening is they're winning some close games, and this is much more representative. But what's funny is they've lost some of their better hitters along the way. So you lose your team batting leaders, and you got better somehow. It is still uh, an interesting turn of events for them, but it's it's nice to see. I like seeing a bit of a change of pace. Now, whether that's because some of the better teams are taking their foot off the gas or whether that's just because they're winning close games and, like you mentioned, they they can do some things well. In the case of Lancaster, batting-wise, it's certainly one of their things. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how long this continues. It's still only 10 games in the first half, so I don't really know if it's, you know, a sustainable thing or if it's something that's going to be an ongoing thing or not. Right, I think... The the amount of and let's make no mistake about it they were not a good team in the first half yeah. it's not it's not just a matter of well if they would have won half these close games they would have had they would have had a winning record because it's not uh it's not the case yeah they were still However, nineteen and forty seven in the first half right so that's what that's what it makes you wonder a little bit well how sustainable is this uh how sustainable is this run. And I don't know. I mean, I think when you don't see, I mean, there are some new faces on this offense. They just signed Risney Castillo as well, yeah. uh, from who after his time with the Ducks ended. So maybe that could provide uh, a boost to their offense as well. But you know, the pitching, honestly, for Staten Island has been it's been quite solid all year long. Uh, and it's just a matter of 
Um, and winning those close games, uh, maybe shoring up the back end of the bu- uh, of their bullpen a little bit as well. Uh, but the, those close games that the, it just seemed like they were coming out on the wrong end of every single one of them, and in just like a ridiculous manners. Also, um, so it was. It, it's good to see them start to get back on the right end of things, especially the. I mean, that, you mentioned the the one nothing win against the Ducks. I mean, the Ducks are having their own problems still. You keep waiting for them to turn it around, and, and it, ju- it just hasn't happened. So, uh, it just hasn't happened to this point. So, uh, but I think the, the ferret. Well, it'll be interesting to see how long they can keep this up. Uh, and there's, of course, plenty of time left in the second half for for things to change, either for better or for worse. Uh, but I think that uh, the fact that the close games are finally starting to even out, and it, they usually do over such a long stretch, but they finally started to even out for the Ferry Hawks a little bit. Uh, and and that's the thing about the the, the half system. Uh, that's the thing about the half system in the Atlantic League. You can have as terrible the first half as the Ferry Hawks had at 19 and 47, and it doesn't even matter because they are one game out of a playoff position, which is mind-numbing and you know you could have whatever opinion you want about the Atlantic League playoff system but that's the reality and that's the that's the good side for a team like Staten Island yeah that certainly is it's the blessing curse of the half system so it'll be something to watch going forward but on that note well we can move along from the Atlantic League and move on to some other leagues with other happenings, and of course the Frontier League is one of those leagues that's had a, an interesting little stretch here. They announced their all-star lineup, and we had some record-setting news, so we'll jump into both of those uh, right now. On that all-star selection front for their all-star game, which will be in Washington, PA, that game being, of course, July the 20th, so approximately five or so days away from that. Very exciting news there. Let's take a look at these all-star selections. We'll go through the primary guys, and then we'll go through the alternates and the pitchers and everything that goes along with it. So starting in the West, we have Briley Ware from Joliet, Brennan Price from Florence, Nick Ward from Washington, Matt Botcher from Schaumburg, Dakota Phillips from Evansville, uh, Jackson Pritchard from Florence, Zach Bierman from Evansville, Isaac Bernard from Gateway, Wagner LaGrange from Washington. Also from Washington are the following, Andrew Check, Ian Walters, Alex Alvarez. Uh, going from Gateway, Trevor Achenbach, Jashan Sandoval from Windy City, Anthony Brancato from Florence, and Alberti Chavez from Florence. Uh, in the East, we have Dalton Combs from New Jersey, Juan Kelly from Three Rivers, Justin Wiley from New Jersey, Paven Parks from Tri-City, Carlos Martinez from Three Rivers, Josh Rewalt from New Jersey, Jacob Sanford from Ottawa, Martin Figueroa from Sussex, from Tri-City, Brett Zunica and Brantley Bell, uh, A.J. Wright from Ottawa, from Quebec, David Glond and Jeffrey Parra. From Sussex County, Errol Robinson and Jason Agresti of New Jersey. As the primaries on the batting side from pitchers from the primary selections. In the West, Logan Sawyer of Evansville. 
Parker Brums from Evansville, but he was just picked up by the Reds. John Murphy from Gateway. Cole Cook from Joliet. Cam Ofterhide from Joliet. I'm going to butcher this one because there's an S next to a J or next to a G. It's, it's a situation here for Joseph Gambarella. I'm going to assume the S is kind of silent. He's from Lake Erie. Daryl Thompson from Schaumburg. And from Washington, Lucas Young and Rob Whalen. In the East, Johnson Aries from Empire State. Danny Wachinski from New Jersey, or from New York. Ottawa has three selections in the way of Kevin Escursia, uh, Zach Westcott and Evan Grills. Quebec has two in Samuel Adams and Cody Pavina or Pava. And Sussex County has Dwayne Marshall and John Baker. Thank God those two were easy. And then we have some alternates. But first, before we get to alternates and coaches, what do we make of that lineup? I don't have any major uh, qualms with it at all. I mean, uh, I mean, both divisions uh, have sending a lot of talented players. Really, uh, it's funny. A lot of the guys that. Uh, a lot of a lot of the guys that we were seeing, kind of like the beginning of the year, uh, have really turned out. Uh, have really turned out to be to be good as well. So I think that uh, with the All Star game, you know, just r- right around the corner as well. I mean, no major qualms as far as uh, as far as the lineup, but uh, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of talent on, on both sides. You know, especially on the uh, on the Eastern front uh, as well. I mean, certainly uh, certainly Quebec. Well represented as they should, uh, with the, with the with the terrific club that they have uh, at forty and fifteen, as you were talking about. So um, yeah, I mean, no no major no major uh, problems with with the lineup at all, but uh, certainly strong a, a strong group as well as any all star team would be. Yeah, the one thing that got me was how many New Jersey players were on there. I mean, there was what yeah, three four guys. So. I mean, that's a pretty solid number. Now, of course. Justin Wiley, he's second in RBIs. Dalton Combs leads the league in batting average at a 396, which through this point in the season is extremely impressive. Uh, Josh Rewalt, he's got 19 home runs leading the league, which again is very impressive through about uh, a little over 50 games. I believe it's uh, closing in on almost 60 games, uh, 55 at this point. But New Jersey overall as a team is 25 and 29, which kind of goes to show you how, like, Sometimes the parts of the sum don't equal the sum. It's just a very interesting uh, way of going about it in there. it's uh, That was just the one that kind of caught me by surprise with seeing all those guys and yeah. not seeing... I, mean, uh, I, I, think, I think that that's, doesn't that kind of speak to what the problem has been in some ways for, for the Jackals since they've, yeah. since they've made the move from the Can-Am League uh, to the Frontier League is they have... They have some of the star power uh they have they they have like the talent especially on the veteran side of things uh but they have not in that adjustment they really have not been able to get production uh from those rookies from guys who are a little bit younger uh that we we really haven't seen from them and and they're veterans and the guys that you know like uh, like aggressive is a good example of that uh, that jackals fans know and love they they're still producing but at the end of the day, it's tough to compete with uh, with teams that are the talent or, or the, have the talent of a Sussex County, of a Quebec, of an Ottawa, 
uh, when the roster just doesn't have much depth and isn't that well-rounded. That's certainly part of it. And it's, you also have to be a complete ball club. Like you notice there wasn't really any New Jersey players. I don't think there was a New Jersey player on the pitching side of things. So if your entire plan is, okay, we're going to hit a lot of home runs, we're going to score a lot of runs, that's fine. But you got to make sure your offense can travel and that you can win high scoring games and that you're not going to get outscored. And so as a team, when you're hitting 303, that's great, but you need to be able to pitch well. And as a team, when you're pitching for a 6.36 ERA, it's like, okay, well, maybe this strategy isn't really working because if you're not averaging enough, you know, runs per game to beat that, which they're not, then it doesn't really matter what you're doing if you're just going heavy on one but not paying enough attention on the other. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. I think that, uh, as, as I mean, that's the pitching end of things has been a really big problem for the Jackals for the last couple of years. So uh, certainly not, uh, certainly that has not been, uh, not been good for them this year either. But I think that's uh, they they can score, but I think that they just really haven't been able to develop guys uh, pitching wise, and they haven't really been able to recruit uh, good pitchers. And unfortunately, they're kind of paying the price for it, and that's why they've been at the bottom of the standings the way they have been in their first two years in the Frontier League. Yeah, that's that is no insignificant part of it, certainly, and I agree with that. Uh, keeping things moving, uh, there is the additional. Uh, All-Stars and coaching staff that was also announced. This was announced on Thursday, so we will go uh, through them now. Uh, in addition to the players also named, L.P. Peltier uh, is also going to be added. He is batting about 360 on the year with 43, with 43 runs scored and 32 RBIs and 9 home runs. On the mound, Nick Horvath from Quebec will be added with his one point. Snicks three, so 1.69 uh, ERA and 11 walks for only 500 runs on the year. David Vinsky is going to get added from New York uh, as well. Uh, Peltier was from Three Rivers, in case people were wondering that. Uh, Vinsky doing fairly well himself with a 343 batting average and 10 home runs. Uh, coaching staff, Pat Scalabrini will manage the East. He is obviously of Quebec, and he brings along uh, Josh McAdams as part of the coaching staff. Uh, that is good to see there. Brooks Carey will also join the staff, obviously New Jersey's manager as well. And then Gabriel Imbo from Quebec will also round it off as a trainer. In the West, Austin Gossman, or Gossman oh, will be joining from Evansville. He is a replacement for his teammate who was just signed uh, to the Reds, as I mentioned a moment ago. Lane uh, Schnitz-Paxton from Windy City is also going to be added. Uh, in the case of Gossman, he has a 262 ERA on the year. And in the case of uh, Schnitz-Paxton, he has a 142 ERA on the year. Wild Things also get another addition in the form of Scotty DeBrule, who is batting three and a quarter on the year with two home runs. Uh, to boot, 
Chase Dawson gets an ad. We'll talk more about Chase in a little bit because he set a record uh, in the way of single season triples. He gets added. He is from Schaumburg. A313 for him on the season. Tom Baith is going to be the manager for the West Division, obviously, of the of the hosting Washington Wild things and also deserving, seeing as they are among the best in the league. Alex Boschers, also of Washington, gets added. And Lake Erie is uh, going to get a coach and staff in the way of Mikhail or McCall uh, Gonzalez as well. And Washington's trainer, Austin Pascarella, will be rounding off that staff, of course. And the two teams will be playing in uh, Negro League throwbacks uh, to honor the 50th anniversary of Josh Gibson's induction to the Hall of Fame. Jersey's auctioned off uh, after the game for proceeds going to the Josh Gibson Foundation. That is all on the way of the Frontier League this week. Yeah, and I love the idea of the uh, of the jerseys of the Negro League teams from those regions, um, from specific teams' regions. I think that, that's so cool. Uh, that's that's such a nice touch, uh, especially as we've seen. I, I think really over the last few years, um, we've seen more of a more of a celebration of, of the history of the Negro Leagues, and. Uh, of course, uh, a league that um, that I I just wish, uh, or I mean that it's currently it's getting a lot better as far as like the record keeping of it and trying to learn about some of those players that, that never really got a shot in the uh, in the MLB at the time. So I th- I love the I love the idea of the jerseys as well. I think auctioning them off is cool uh, as, as well as uh, as well as honoring josh gibson's induction into the baseball hall of fame that that's awesome as well so i, I love the idea of uh, of the of the negro league jerseys and uh, and i think the frontier league is doing a really great job with that absolutely is a, a really nice touch we talked about that when they first announced this as the plan and it is it is a nice little touch there and i do think some of the later additions uh are also some very solid ones chase dawson being the most notable one and on that note we're going to talk quickly about Chase's uh, record that he set. Uh, he, he kind of been barreling down on this record. It's been held for 16 years, but he has now 17 triples on the year, which has set the single-season frontier record for triples in a season. Uh, came earlier this week on, again, the 13th, because everything was happening Wednesday. He got a triple in a day game against, I want to say it was Evansville, if I'm not mistaken, and it, he set the record. We kind of been watching it. We knew it was going to fall. Uh, Chris Seidick, who was or is a Frontier League Hall of Famer, previously held it, and uh, he's still got an awful lot of time to add more to his record in the case of Chase. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the to me... Uh, as amazing as, as the uh, as of course the record breaking the record that uh, Chase Dawson did, I, I think to add on to that, I mean just the fact that we're what like fifty five games into the year. About I that, mean, how yeah. do you break how do you break that in fifty five games? I don't I, know. that 
that's really the part of that is, uh, or I think when he broke it, I think it was, just, it looks like it was just the 51st game of the season. So that's honestly the most impressive part of it to me. Uh, just the fact that it just over half the season, uh, that, and Dawson was able to shatter the frontier league triples record. I mean, he's not only setting the record and breaking, uh, the, the previous record, but he is really going to extend himself and, uh, put some distance because i have to imagine that uh, of course unless he's unless he's picked up by an organization and whatnot which could change all of that uh but i mean just the fact that he has he has the ability to put to put some big distance uh in between him and uh in second place in this and uh in the single season triples uh record book because i mean there there's still a lot of baseball left to be played uh, and honestly, it, it's going to make it really hard for anyone else to challenge that. Uh, and maybe outside of himself, uh, if, he, if he stays maybe in Schaumburg or another team in the, in the Frontier League for another year. So, I mean, it's just unbelievably impressive for, for Chase Dawson. And just, I think, to be honest with you, as, that, as he was starting to really get on this pace it was kind of an inevitable yeah. that uh, he was going to break this record unless he was picked up uh but i mean to be honest with you it's it's been uh he's been incredible uh and it was only a matter of time before he broke the record and honestly probably still broke it earlier than i think most people thought so he's gonna he's gonna take this time and try and put some put some distance uh from away from second place because I mean, the fact that he just casually setting the single season triples record uh with plenty of time to go uh in the in the season is just that's the craziest part to me yeah that's what's amazing is he did in about 200 at bats to get 17 triples the next closest is uh is only at four and that's <laughs> it, it's just such a disparity there and you'd think, okay, well, then he's a speed guy. He has to have a lot of stolen bases. He's only stolen 16 bases, which, granted, is still among the league leaders. It's not, you know, right up there, but league leaders at 29, then it goes to 27, then 22. So he's not that far off from everyone else. So he has some speed, but that's not really his only thing. It's just when he gets ahead of steam going, he's able to stretch a double into a triple which is an amazingly useful attribute. I mean, he has 13 doubles and 17 triples. So, hey, if you can make a double a triple, all the better, right? And it just does so much for your team to be able to say, all right, fly ball gets us an extra round the board. Productive out works. And it's just 17 and of itself for the whole year wouldn't be, I think, all that shocking. I mean, yes, we had a record that's held for a decade and a half, and, you know, whenever something like that falls, it is impressive, yeah. But 17 isn't some sort of mind-popping number. But if in under 100 games, if you play your 95, 96 games, you get 30 of them. I mean, that's like what? About one every three games? A little so, under the pace? So I, I, want, I want to compare this also to a, a different... So how about the... If you want to compare... Uh, what Dawson is doing now, and it's probably unlikely he would he would get to this number. And I mean, if you make it like per capita, as far as like the, the playoff, uh, the excuse me, the, the plate appearances, you could make the case. But the and the MLB record, yeah, uh, is thirty six. <laughs> so 
And that was set in 1912. So these are these are all like dead ball era numbers. Yeah. In fact, in in the uh, in the top 20 for the MLB in the on the MLB record books, the latest the uh, like the most recent one was 1925. And that really? I think that just shows you how un, how insane like this uh, this this record is because it's just something. It's not really as much of a part of today's game. Uh, yeah. as as it was and so it's i mean the record's 36 and i was setting like over 600 at bats so i mean honestly if he had the same amount of at bats he probably would have broken uh he probably would have broken uh this record and it could have been made i mean it's i mean you're putting in into uh into in crazy territory that stuff that we really haven't seen and you have to think of all those triples uh, back then in the, like the late 1800s, early 1900s, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the ballparks were significantly bigger, yeah. right? And uh, and there's there wasn't as many many power hitters, uh, and uh, it was that's how you that's how you had to have uh, that's like triples were such a big part of the game. So uh, it's it's a record that you don't really see a whole lot of at this point, and it just shows. I mean, how quickly he was able to shatter the frontier league record. It shows that what kind of a special player he is. Absolutely. I mean that that's just it. You don't see him a lot because it's it's kind of a thing. It it's it's you know it's just kind of weird to have that many. And the only other weird stat I want to point out is how Evansville has a guy who's stolen seventeen bases in nineteen games. That'll play. Yeah, Mathis. That's a. Oh, okay. It's a very interesting guy. Gary Mathis got 17 stolen bases, 19 games played. I don't know how, but like the only way this makes sense is if they bring him into the game for this reason. That's the only thing that I could think of. Well, how many at bats does he have? Uh, hold on one second, and I will go to his, uh, I'll go to his, uh, stats there. Let's see. We go over here, we go back, oh, really, when you open a player profile on this thing, that's a complaint I'm going to make here. When you open a player profile, it, it wipes out your sorting. He has 73 at-bats, so I guess not. Yeah, I mean, I... I guess not as much as like a pinch runner. I mean that that's pretty crazy though. I mean that's, I mean he's basically trying to. That's almost a stolen base a game. So yeah. that's that's a pretty insane number. Yeah, looking at this here, first off, the skew is wild on this dude. He got one. He's only been caught stealing once. But what's kind of crazy is he has 19 hits, 10 walks in those 19 games. So he's good for like a hit a game. He's good to get on base like one and a half times a game. And when he gets a on base, he's pretty good to steal a base. And he's also got 16 RBIs. Like, he has a limited sample size, but what's there is pretty solid. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, a major weapon, uh, yeah. to have. So, I mean, when you can steal bases at that high of a clip and with that high of a success rate, I mean that's that's really dangerous. So yeah. talk about talk about throwback throwback players. I mean that could be 
yeah. big, uh, big topic of today is when the, when the Frontier League talking about triples and stolen bases. I mean, the yeah. topic that you don't really see talked about much anymore. Yeah, of course, it looks like he's been hurt. That seems to be the issue here because he hasn't played since, oh, okay. uh, yeah, since June 11th. So unless I missed him getting released in the fact that, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff and I'm covering four leagues now. And so I just don't got time to, you know, keep on top of everything. So unless he got released or he's hurt or something, he, it's just odd. It, that's just a weird stat line. And I got to imagine it's hurt and not released because I don't know why you'd release him unless he asked right. to be released or, yeah. or he got picked up. But I don't think a 260 hitter is getting picked up. Doubtful. No. Yeah. So, oh, uh, that's enough. Of oh, God. I got to get water, but. That's enough on the Frontier League. We'll go to the American Association. They have news happening. They got an all-star game. They got a Hall of Fame. And now we got actual movement in standings. So it's getting kind of fun. We'll go to that uh, Hall of Fame news, which would have headlined last week if we were able to record this last... Well, we recorded last week, obviously, but we found this after we recorded and we were not going to jump back on to talk about it. So they established a Frontier... Or, they established an American Association Hall of Fame. Uh, I'd like to believe that we kind of inspired this by our discussion from which we never really announced who got in, which is something we'll have to do at some point. But that's not really important. What is important is there's only one member of the inaugural American Association uh, of Professional Baseball Hall of Fame, which is, of course, Miles Wolf, founded the American Association. Uh, it's kind of the... the godfather of modern independent ball we've talked about him uh in spades and uh he's certainly deserving of this honor and it's it's an interesting time to do it but it definitely seems like the kind of uh thing to do if you're the american association it again adds an air of professionalism it adds the decorum it adds just more legitimacy in my mind it makes everything seem higher in just quality and of stature to have a hall of fame and it also just is kind of the right thing to do to start honoring people uh appropriately guys that should be honored and remembered for what part they've played and we've gone over the importance of having a hall of fame everything that we've said there can be applied to this as well and uh it is very fitting and I do understand why Wolf is the lone member of this of this first class, but at the same time, it would have been nice to have a couple of players in there as well. Yeah, I would have liked to see uh, a player or two in there, just because I mean there are some obvious obvious candidates for that as well. Um, but I mean, certainly Miles Wolf not a bad choice at all. I mean, I think we can all agree he would be. I in uh, in well, he was. I assume he would have been in her indie, yeah. her indie ball hall of fame pretty easily as well. I mean, he's, I, I love the idea of the American association establishing a hall of fame. Cause I think you're right, Nick, when you say that it, it provides a, a sense of legitimacy, um, to a quote unquote independent league and, and trying to honor its history and to really honor those guys who, yeah, maybe they didn't really get back to affiliated ball the way they wanted to, but there, it's not like that their that their uh, accomplishments and achievements went in vain, uh, because they certainly didn't. And I think it's it's a great way to honor. I, I wish the Atlantic League did something like this as well. Uh, I think that 
it, it'd be, it would be really cool. And, uh, I mean, I think this is a, another great idea by the American Association trying to honor uh, their history and the people who kind of paved the way to see, to see the way that the American Association has really exploded uh, in in recent years. So uh, I I think it's it's an awesome thing for them to do. Uh, it's a great idea. I can't wait to see I guess who who else goes in to see maybe if. Uh, and uh, no, we'll see what kind of maybe controversy sparked from it. Again, I kind of wish that there was a, a player or two, uh, more than just Miles Wolf. Not that Miles Wolf is a bad candidate at all, but, uh, but I, I would have liked to see a, a player or two in there. But I mean, it's a really cool honor. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really cool and something for a lot of those American associ- American association guys who are there. Who who are there and they're probably like all right they're probably not getting back to uh, they're not probably they're probably not getting back to affiliated baseball so they can just uh, so that's something for them to stride for and they're not and they feel like that they're playing for something uh, when they're there for maybe a, a fifth or a sixth season and whatnot and they're continuing putting up numbers and just not getting the benefit of going back to affiliated baseball so. Um, and so I think it, it, it's going to be. I, I'm really interested to see where this goes uh, in in recent years, and I hope that other leagues follow this as well because I think it's a really cool example that the uh, American Association set. Absolutely, it certainly is. It and it does kind of leave the Atlantic League again out in the cold, where it's like unless there's a Pioneer League Hall of Fame that I'm unaware of, those are the only two partner leagues without a Hall of Fame now. Obviously, it's split 2-2, two two, but you kind of would like to see the Atlantic League, you know, honor a lot of really talented guys here that deserve recognition. Right. And you'd hope that next year, if they go back to doing All-Star games, maybe they could follow the lead here. I know you don't want to be a follower. You want to set the course, not follow it, but... At the same time, it would be a nice way to do it and kind of do it annually where you do the All-Star Game as a celebration of your league, right? So that would be something uh, of note and I would like to see. I do agree. We'd like to see some more guys get in there. Uh, In case you're wondering how induction will go going forward, the American Association Hall of Fame will annually induct new members from the following categories is according to release. Uh, managers, coaches, owners, team executives, and contributors. So that is your categories. That is a total of one, two, three, four, and five categories. Clubs will formally nominate individuals for consideration, and a league-wide vote will be held each year to determine the newest class of inductees. I don't know when that will be. I imagine it will be roughly the same time of year. I imagine they're going to do what, as I just said, which is kind of make that all-star weekend, those two or three days, uh, make them all about your league, make them all about the American Association, make it a celebration of the league, not just the present league, but also the past league. And uh, it certainly is, uh, it certainly is something that is nice to see. And hopefully we'll continue going forward next year. Hopefully we'll start to get some more, uh, some more diversity in the classes. Hopefully we'll get, you know, some players. We'll get the managers. We'll get people from each of these groupings. I don't know if it's just going to be one or two or if there's a vote threshold. None of that's really out there right now. Uh, but 
maybe we'll find that out in time and I'm sure we'll get answers to that question as time goes on there. But uh, overall, really solid stuff from the American Association. Yeah, I agree. And I think that uh, when you talk about, well, the Atlantic League kind of being left out in the cold here because there's so, there's so much the Atlantic League could be doing uh, with, I mean, honoring so many of the great players in their league's history. Uh, and I think that there's there's a lot they could be doing and so much history uh, that they could be honoring, even though even like as the, the teams are a little bit new and they're changing, there's still people uh, that, that you can honor that helps uh, that help pave the way. And I think that's, I think that would be really cool. And like, yeah, like, are you technically being a follower of the American Association? Yeah, I guess. But at the end of the day, it comes down to honor your past and kind of help uh, help legitimize uh, the league in a lot of eyes as well. And giving, I, I like the idea of giving some of those guys who are maybe uh, those three to four year vets, you know, something to play for as well. So I think that. Uh, I, I think I hope the Atlantic League follows suit as well because I think the American Association is doing it the right way. Absolutely, and I just hope that you know these clubs. Obviously, they're going to nominate their best players, their best managers, their team owners, their coaches, their their guys. They're going to nominate. I just hope that some of them also nominate guys from teams that aren't around anymore. You know, there's a lot of guys for St. Paul and a lot of people involved in St. Paul that. They deserve to be acknowledged. They deserve to be honored, even if that organization has gone to affiliated ball. I'm sure there's other organizations, um, such as Fort Worth, such as uh, Wichita, that were around for a long time that have important pieces there. And obviously, they don't exist anymore, so they can't nominate, you know, anybody themselves. So hopefully, that is part of it as well that some teams will, after they get their guys in, start to nominate these other guys as well, so that way they can get their day in the sun, too. Uh, I just hope to see that, and I imagine we will, but, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the St. Paul uh, aspect, because a lot of those, a lot there's a lot of guys uh, with that organization who help make the league what it is, so I, ho- I hope as well that they get, I, I hope, that's a good call by you, I, ho- I hope that they get their honor as well, even though they're not still a member of the American Association. Absolutely, there. And that said, uh, we can go. I I suppose we could talk a little bit about the All Star Game. Jabari Henry, I believe, won the home run derby for them in that uh, American Association home run derby. Uh, the All Star Game. It's it's an All Star Game. Does anyone actually really care about the the outcome of a game that doesn't really matter in the end? Yeah, I mean. At the end of the day, there's the Americans, the uh, the All Star games are what they are. Like you're gonna have guys who are trying to throw hard for an inning. Uh, you can have some home runs. I mean, Jabari Henry also. Uh, I mean, hitting a three run home run uh, after um, after having great performance in the home run derby, hitting a three run homer uh, yeah. in, in that game as well. I mean, he's he's such a great player. I mean, his team would be terrible, but you know what. Uh, he's, he's still, he's still out there every day, uh, performing. So that was really good to see. I mean, yeah, I mean, not a, not a whole lot, uh, not a, not a whole lot, uh, from it really, you know, it's just an all-star game, but we'd also love to see Jameson McGrain, uh, getting the win as well. So we love Jameson McGrain content and 
Yeah. Seems like it was a it was a good All Star game, a close competitive game, and that's pretty much all you can ask for. Putting on a show for the fans, exactly. And the bring out the points, make sure every player that went gets into the game because I mean, like it's it's not an easy feat getting them there. Uh, Tasker Strobel had like probably the only bad outing of his year so far, where he gives gives up three earned runs and four hits. You know, that's probably the only time that's going to happen all year. Uh, Paul Schwindel, I believe New Jersey native Paul Schwindel, uh, he gets tagged with a loss. You, you hate to see that. Or my mistake, I'm thinking of a diff- I'm thinking of Frank Schwindel. That's my mistake. Not uh, yeah. Paul Schwindel. I knew there was a Schwindel from Denville. And I thought it was Paul, but I mistook it. That's my bad. I own that one. Uh, but can I also just say, Brian Torres is doing a hell of a job this year. Lit up the All-Star game, looked good doing it, and he's doing great for Milwaukee. I mean, like, he he's kind of surprising he's still here, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, yeah, he's a bit undersized, but overall for Milwaukee, he's doing a great job. A great job this year. Yeah, I I, I, to- I totally agree there. And, you know, I mean, maybe in the second half you could see him picked up as well. So uh, I think I think that could, I think you could definitely see that happening. I certainly hope so. That man has it coming. He deserves it. I mean, he's he's leading the way on a team that really has like three, maybe four guys, if you're being generous, that really drive the bus. I mean, Keon Barnum deserves a note too. He hits home runs, but he's cooled off a lot. Mason Davis does what he can. Dylan Kelly does what he can. Aaron Hill has been better, has been worse. Pretty all right player, uh, above average player, I'd say. But Torres is just like casually hitting 380 in 50 games. And I appreciate that a lot. He's stolen 10 bases too. He's doing what he can. So I, I, I'm a big Torres fan there. But as for the, uh, the greater whole of the league, we're starting to get things to, I guess, kind of sort out. Fargo's still the best team in the league. Kansas City's probably the second best team in the league. They're eight and two in their last 10. Uh, Chicago's by far the best team in the East. King County still holds the spot. Milwaukee's kind of gotten better. They're up to five and five now in their last 10, so they're kind of getting back. Gary's doing their thing where they don't do anything. Lake Country ceased to make it interesting by losing four in a row. Cleburne is getting a little bit of like a dead cat bounce by winning five in a row and somehow only being about a game out of the playoffs, which still kind of bewilders me uh elsewhere sioux falls is eight and two in their last 10 they're desperately trying to get into a fight for that last playoff spot with lincoln four game difference now, of course it doesn't really matter because we all know who, what the final is going to be in the west again but hey it's happening yeah i think the i think they're really the one of the, the big stories is as Cleburne starting to play better baseball and Lake Country going completely the other way. I mean, it was a fun start for Lake Country, but man, have they taken a nosedive uh, as of late. And Cleburne's playing good baseball as well. So, I mean, I think that uh, in Cleburne is playing their way to um, to right around a playoff spot, as, as and even though it, despite being in last place uh, all season, really. So uh, how far will they end up going? Probably not that far, but I, I think uh, they're 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 playing themselves only one game out of a playoff spot right now. So 
I think that's that's the big thing to take away from this week. But I mean, we know what the class is of the uh, American Association is at this point. I mean, Fargo, Moorhead, and Kansas City, of course, in the West, and then in the East, the Dogs have just been uh, have been rolling there as well. And maybe someone else can can surprise, but still waiting for Milwaukee to get going. But they're still playing some pretty mediocre baseball. But I mean, Cleburne Cleburne's red hot right now, so and they're playing themselves right back. A, a team that. Look like they were going to miss the playoffs, and now they're right knocking on the door. I mean, yeah, they they are. I still think they're just going to get hammered by Chicago, but you know, right. it, it, getting it in really is matter at, yeah. the end of, at the end of the day. Yeah, getting in is just the victory for them. I will say the one thing though is Kansas City did lose Gabby Guerrero today. You just Guerrero decided to retire, so I mean that's a big loss too when you're losing a 300 hitter. That mm-hmm. just went to the All Star game and has eight home runs and thirty three RBIs all in forty eight games, so that's a, a non insignificant blow. Uh, I mean, guy plays one hundred and fifty games for you, hits three twenty three and twenty seven home runs in that time, and I, that bats out of your lineup. That, by all accounts, great person is out of your room. That's a, a major loss there, so maybe that has an effect. On uh, on the way things go for them, because it's not exactly easy to replace that kind of production. Now, granted, they're still a very good team. I'm sure right. they'll be able to find a player to plug the hole, but you're never going to fill it all the way. So that could be yeah, something to watch. You can't fill it all the way, but I, I think that I, I think that Kansas City is just so talented that they'll that they'll be able to they'll be able to to figure out how to find maybe one or two guys to try and help. Uh, get most of that production, but it's hard because Guerrero is such a terrific player. He's a great uh, leader in that clubhouse as well. So uh, it's it's a tough loss, but I mean, I, I, if there's a team that can figure it out, it's Kansas City because of the talent they have and how well they're coached. And uh, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, if they don't win, if they don't uh, finish first, it's just going to come down to a series between them and Fargo Moorhead. So I, I think they'll be just fine, even though it is a tough loss. And it's not, it's not too dissimilar to just losing a guy who was raked for you or pitched really well for you and gets picked up by an MLB organization or a foreign league. You just got to plug holes and get, and get used to it because that's, that's what Kansas city has done better than pretty much anyone else. Exactly. And I mean, We'll see how it goes. They like to keep uh, a small group of guys, the usual group going, but I'm sure they'll be able to to find a way. I agree with you there. So uh, that said, I don't think there's too much uh, more left to really have to say this week. I think we covered just about everything here. It uh, it was an eventful week. It was an exciting week. We didn't even really talk about. The fact that Quebec's won their last 10 in a row. They're 40 and 15. They're like 10 clear of Ottawa now, who has played slightly above 500 baseball. Like, there's a lot happening in the Frontier League, too, but we just had so much stuff to get to that we didn't really get a chance to really discuss it in full. Gateway's coming around again. They're like a game back of the postseason. So it's going to be a very exciting week across the board. I mean, maybe not so much in the... uh, in the American Association, just because, like we said, you know, uh, they're pretty well set up now, and it's really fights for, like, the four seeds, and even then, still, we have about a month left to play. We have all of August left to play. We have half of July left to play, really, too. So, there's something left there, but the Atlantic League certainly still up there. 
we're starting to get it going in the second half and the Frontier League is always exciting too. So there's a lot going on across the world of indie ball for next week. Yeah, certainly. And I think we're, uh, uh, we're starting to, you're really starting to see teams separate themselves as well. And I mean, of course, uh, even though we didn't get to talk about it a whole lot this week, I mean, shout out, uh, shout out Quebec. I mean, they're, they're just an absolute wagon <laughs> that is just rolling through. Uh, the Frontier League at the moment and establishing themselves as the clear uh, championship favorites. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're they're back to the days of old where they just go through and they win five Can-Am League championships like it's nothing. But of course, before you start anointing them as anything, they still have to win something in the Frontier League. But they look very, very good so far. But yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully the Atlantic League doesn't wind up doing anything terminally stupid over the next week. Otherwise, we'll have to bring someone on to talk about this. And we all know who I mean by someone. But, uh, you know, regardless, uh, I guess we can go ahead and go to the plugs and whatnot. Because I'm starting to ramble now after, you know, having a very long day and a very long week at that. So uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so. On Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You could find show notes and all the other episodes and all that jazz on the website IndieBallReport.com. You could go to uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, any major podcatcher to find the show. And on most of them, you can rate, review, and or subscribe. So be sure to do that. Help the show grow. Uh, that being said, do we have anything else left to add? Couple quick things. Day one of the MLB draft on Sunday. Extremely excited for that. Uh, for a prospect guru, uh, a prospect uh, lover like myself, I am very excited for the MLB draft and for indie ball purposes. It's it's also a big day. See where uh, Tri City Valley Cats legend Kumar Rocker goes. Maybe he ends up a Red Sox. We'll have to see. Uh, and also, I wanted to do this as well uh, before we get it off. Home run derby on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, I know you don't. I know you're still in a vendetta against the MLB, but I was interested to see who who your pick was for the home run derby. I can read off the names if you want me to as well. I don't know how much you've been following it, but I'm eager to hear who you think's going to win. I, I would like to hear the names because I only know a handful. I don't think they're going to change who I'm picking, but I'll I'll go ahead and uh, okay. read the names. I'll pick one, yeah. All right, we got Kyle Schwarber. All right. Albert, Albert Pujols. Yes, that Albert Pujols. Okay. Juan Soto, Jose Ramirez, Corey Seager, Julio Rodriguez, Pete Alonso, and Ronald Acuna. <laughs> I personally think it would be hilarious if Pujols won. I don't think he's getting out of the first no round. No way. But no way. he's always gets out of the first round. He's in for legacy reasons. That's why. Uh, that's his send-off moment. So he'll probably get some sort of, like, grooved fastball that's really like a 75-mile-per-hour meatball over the plate to win the thing just so he can have his moment. But uh, in the actual All-Star game itself for that, I want to say Alonzo for a three-peat because, I mean, like, the dude's just a tank. But I'm going Juan Soto. There's something about Juan Soto that just, I feel like Juan Soto. I'm going him. Okay. I see. As amazing of a hitter as Juan Soto is, he doesn't strike me as a home run derby type of guy. 
that's as as incredible of a hitter as he is. I don't know. He doesn't strike me as a guy who would who would do that well in a home run derby. And I could go Alonzo and make it uh, that, but I think that's the easy way out. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go J Rod. I'm gonna go Julio Rodriguez. Uh, the the sensation for the red hot Seattle Mariners. I think uh, he's a guy. He's he's been electrifying. I think he's. I'm gonna go a little bit of an upset. I'm gonna say he wins the home run derby. So we'll see if any of us are right about that. But that's all I had left to add. But if Alonzo three peats, I like Pete Alonzo. So I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Yeah, see, I just I have this feeling with Soto because he seems like the kind of guy that's just like I'm just here to have fun, and that seems like it's always good enough to win something on all-star weekend so i'm just going with that just throwing it out there i have no idea so okay that's the that's the wonderful thing about not following major league baseball it's just like i could just kind of throw stuff out there and i just pick the names that i know so it's great it's kind of like people that don't watch football all that often and then they get to the super bowl and they're like oh yeah i'll pick tom brady's team it's like you've got a pretty and decent. They're usually right. Yeah, exactly. It's like unless they're playing an NFC East team, it's like yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But yeah, as far as things to add go, I I really don't have anything. I'm just kind of like dead tired to the point where we're gonna ramp up recording this at about midnight. I'm editing this in the morning because I'm just not doing it right now, and hopefully it'll be up before noon. So that's really my plan because I'm not doing uh, an hour and twenty minutes worth of audio editing right now uh because i'm looking forward to going to bed very shortly definitely definitely relate yeah so uh yeah on that note we got nothing else left to add so until next time don't forget to play ball